Hey, I'm Janet French, and this is the Press Gallery. Before we get to today's show, just a reminder to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you listen. Leave us a rating and a review, and it would really help us out. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's Alberta Politics Podcast. It's Friday, October 25th, 2019, and this is episode number 295, the Alberta Budget, finally, edition. I'm the host, Janet French. With me today in the studio, looking chipper and delighted and ready to analyze it all and run through all the amazing things we learned this week, is reporter Moira Whiten. How are you? Good morning, Janet. I'm well, thanks. How are you? Wonderful. Good. Good to hear. Sitting across from her, as peppy as he ever gets, is legislative columnist Keith Jarine. How are you? I'm good morning. That That's it. That's all you're getting. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. I'll take it. Next to him is our boss and all-around stand-up dude, Dave Rickenridge. How are you? I'm good. I was worried when you said chipper that you were going to point to me and, you know, a chipper is never really a... a it's not your thing. An man. adjective that one would use to describe me on a daily basis. He's like basis. a happy curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Is that a thing? I'll smile while yeah. I'm asking you to get off my lawn. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, there you go. He's not an old man yet. <laughs> Making our way there. Anyhow, we should talk about some things. Guys, it was totally boring week, hey? Oh, no just news at all. Snooze. No, just no police nothing. news week. No like, politics no, whatsoever. politics desert. Absolutely. Has anyone slept since Monday? Uh, I do not recall sleeping. Barely. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, I think there was a bed in my house. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the reason I say Monday is that if we just cast our minds way back four days ago, something happened on Monday. It was a federal election. The only busier week I think I've had in the news business was uh, the week after the tsunami. In- oh, yeah. 2004. 2006? Was it 06? 06, sorry. I yeah, say Indonesia, 04. right? Indonesia. Definitely 2006. Um, yes. And it was... It was a tsunami of news. It was a tsunami, yes. And there was so many local angles related to that that we were chasing all week and it was long days and, and it was just... This reminds me of that. A tsunami of news. A snooze... No. A snooze <laughs> But not a snooze. Anyway. Definitely not. Yes. Okay. Anyway, so uh, there were some there were some changes in Edmonton's results in the federal election, and uh, there were some changes, but not changes nationally. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the provincial politicians' thoughts about that. Also, today we are going to talk about the budget, the long-awaited Alberta budget, the United Conservative Party's first budget. Everybody's been wanting to see what's in this thing. There have been lots of hints. And then we're going to talk, we're going to deep dive into just one aspect of that budget. Lots to unpack here. But today we're going to talk about specifically what the budget meant for advanced education, universities, colleges, technical institutes. So let's start off with the federal election. Um, Alberta had a bit more of a variety before of, of MPs before the election day. Uh, we still have a Trudeau government. It's now a minority and Alberta went almost entirely blue. So who wants to tell us about what happened in Edmonton? I can, jump, I can yeah. jump in here. So in Edmonton, uh, going into the election, there were uh, the bulk of the seats were held by conservatives. Uh, there were two seats held by the liberals, Amarjeet Sohi, who was the natural resources minister. Uh, he represented Edmonton Mill Woods. We had 
Randy Boissonneau, who was a special advisor to the PMO on LGBTQ issues. Uh, he represented Edmonton Center. And then Linda Duncan, who did not run again, was uh, represented the NDP in Edmonton Strathcona. Um, as one may have expected, based on the amount of anger directed at Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government, um, Amarjeet Sohi and Randy Boissonneau, despite some thinking that they may have a tighter race against their conservative opponents got handily defeated. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, Amarjeet Sohi lost more badly, <laughs> if that's a <laughs> phrase. He, he got his, his rear handed to him a little more thoroughly than did, uh, Randy Boissonneau. Um, James Cumming, uh, formerly of the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce, if I'm not mistaken, or was it Edmonton Economic Development? Anyway, local uh, business type, uh, beat out Randy Boissonneau in Edmonton Centre and former Conservative MP Tim Upple, who lost to Sohi in 2015, uh, regained a seat in the House of Commons. Meanwhile, the tightest race in Edmonton, I believe, was Edmonton-Strathcona. Indeed. Um, it, it was tight, but it was decisive. Uh, the, the race was called around, I think, 8.30 uh, by the Canadian press. Uh, Heather McPherson, Linda Duncan's uh, successor as an NDP candidate, uh, took it home, I think, with 47% of the popular vote in the riding, compared to conservative Sam Lilly's 36%. Hmm. Uh, and I was at the Lilly ha campaign headquarters that night because we weren't quite sure uh, who, where, how it was going to go. Uh, and the mood in that place just dipped and dipped and dipped uh, once they realized what was happening. But yeah, one, one orange seat uh, in a wave of conservative blue. Yeah, across I mean, all of Alberta. Back to and how it used to be. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's how Alberta was in before and after the 20 election campaign, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. 20 election? Yeah. 2011 election. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I said yeah. 2011 election. No, no. And, and I grew up in Evans and Strathcona, and that's the only way I've known it since I was young. So Yeah. Once upon a time, I believe Raheem Jaffer yes. held that writing, who was a conservative. Yes, yeah. he was. Uh, and um, also in Calgary, Kent Hare. Lost a seat as well. He was a liberal yeah. and uh, used to be a former MLA, then a liberal MP, no longer with us. I mean, he's alive, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kent. Dead in the political uh, sphere. <laughs> yes, in the political sphere. What does it all mean? Why Why did we... I mean, you kind of alluded to this already, Dave. Why did we, uh, we the voters of Alberta, turf them so handily, except in Edmonton Strathcona? Jeez, well... Keith, I mean, yeah, yeah, you should talk I, now. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this was the predictable scenario. There is a great deal of anger at the Trudeau Liberals right now, uh, very much tied up with pipeline politics. Uh, and uh, there's a perception that the, the Liberal government in Ottawa has not been uh, entirely a friend to Alberta's energy industry. Um, and so, yeah, the Liberals certainly paid the price in the Prairie Provinces for that. It's interesting, though, the reaction to it locally. And obviously, there's a lot of anger, a lot of disgust. The um, people were hoping for an Andrew Scheer government. Uh, it seemed like it should go that way, considering that Trudeau has not exactly enjoyed a, a strong year politically, uh, embroiled in at least a couple of scandals. So the, the fact that the Conservatives didn't win, I think, comes as a major disappointment. Uh, but I think there's there's some lessons here, right? And this is uh, this is the the column I wrote on on Monday night was that you know we we tried to send a message to the rest of the country. We tried to say you know the the West has not been treated fairly when it comes to our our energy industry, and I think the rest of the country sent a message back and said you know what climate change is also a thing here and. You know, Alberta, we need to perhaps see a little more effort from you. Um, and they weren't seeing 
I think, enough of a climate change seriousness from the Andrew Scheer campaign. That is, I think, at least part of the result we saw across the country. I also think that a lot of it plays into the campaign that Trudeau was running against Andrew Scheer, and he was able to instill enough fear, not just on the climate file, but just on the notion of cuts. He was able to make Doug Ford a villain in the campaign it's in true. Southern Ontario, and he was able to hang that on Andrew Scheer. And I don't think the conservatives did enough to counter that message. We're all a lot of pundits have been Monday morning quarterbacking the whole campaign, but I think that I've heard a, a lot that kind of all points to the fact that Trudeau should have been beatable and it turns out he wasn't. I mean, he did lose his majority. He will have to work with the other parties and he's even admitted he has to reach out to Alberta. And I, I hope that that's something that actually happens. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people who have been kind of mocking Saskatchewan and Alberta for, you know, complaining about not having a seat at the table while well, you voted out your seats at the table. Well, yeah, they voted out their seats at the table because they were angry at the government for Bill C-48 or for the carbon tax or for not getting a pipeline built quickly enough or not being firm enough on uh, Alberta's oil industry. And so they decided, well, we don't want you representing us. So Trudeau, I think, does have to work at gaining some of that support back, or at least showing that he understands these issues and that he wants to work to help Alberta, even without representation at the cabinet table or in government caucus. Right. And the biggest way he can do that is to make sure that the Trans Mountain expansion goes ahead. Um, at this point, it, he's been clear that it is. Um, I guess we'll see if he's willing to follow through on that, if he has to make a deal with Jagmeet Singh uh, to keep his, uh, you know, keep his government in power. And Jagmeet Singh has not been a fan of the Trans Mountain expansion. That certainly could be up for negotiation. But the way Trudeau has sounded at this point, that pipeline will go through. And that is going to be, I think, the biggest thing he can do to try to mend some fences with the West. But there's some other things too. Look, um, Bill C-69, it looks like that's going to stay in place. We don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but the, the warnings uh, have been pretty dire that that is going to stifle a lot of new projects on the energy file. Uh, is there room for negotiation on C-69, for example? Uh, the equalization formula, I think, is going to come up. Jason Kenney is certainly going to make that an issue. Uh, is, is there room to negotiate on equalization? Uh, and there, there's a few other things too. Bill C-48, the tanker ban. Um, are there uh, other things that uh, Ottawa can do to show that they really do understand kind of the economic struggles that Alberta, Saskatchewan and the West have been having? And um, there was some local, like Alberta political reaction to the federal election. Uh, Jason Kenney had a, I would say, almost surprisingly conciliatory news conference uh, the day after. Uh, where he had introduced a letter, a five-page letter that he had written to the Prime Minister congratulating him on his win and saying, if you're serious about including Alberta and Saskatchewan uh, in your your uh, fair confederation, here are 13 suggestions that I have for you. At least I counted 13. There might have been more. Um, what, what else have we heard from provincial politicians in the wake of this win? I mean, they were they were not shy about being out there stumping for these candidates and not just in Alberta, like some of them were traveling around. Yeah, Jason Kenney was in Ontario because Premier Doug Ford is, was so deeply unpopular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, you know, there's no arguing with that. I know that Scott Moe, I think, had an even tougher letter mm -hmm. that he released. I, he, that's the Premier of Saskatchewan. Premier of Saskatchewan, Scott Moe. 
he was, what did his letter say again? I just remember it was, it was. Well, he basically wants a new deal. Yes. He wants a new deal right. for the West. Yeah. Yeah. Kids and the West wants in. The West oh, wants is it in. 2000 again? Yeah. <laughs> 1993, 1989. Um, you know, so, so Scott Moe wants a new deal with, but, to renegotiate essentially the West's place in Confederation. Jason Kenney's list of, of suggestions seemed far more reasonable by comparison. Even uh, Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi, who some people have been talking uh, up the possibility that he could wind up as some kind of advisor to the PM or a member of his cabinet. That's the rumor. It seems very odd, but... Um, <laughs> he's got to do something. There's got, nobody yeah. from Alberta or Saskatchewan. But, Sorry, as you were. But uh, even Nahed Nenshi, who I, I don't think is is close buddies with uh, Premier Kenny, has said that, you know, all of these suggestions are very reasonable and the Prime Minister needs to do something to reach out to Alberta. Um, so, you know, everyone's playing the um, politicking game and trying to jockey for position or jockey for their own position and, and fight against... At least from Alberta's perspective, uh, the the threat that uh, the NDP, the Greens, and the Bloc Québécois. Yeah, I think uh, Kenny seems very concerned about the minority and the fact that the Trans Mountain or any other of these, you know, more environmentally conscious policies or or stances could be a threat to Alberta and uh, and what he sees as Alberta's interests. Yeah, though you know what that press conference and, and, you know, Kenny's list I think is actually reasonable. I don't think he's going to get everything on the list, but I, I did think the items were, were, were useful. But the most interesting part of that press conference was when he was asked about this rise in separatist sentiment that we're seeing in the wake of the election, right? And how real it is versus, you know, how much of a knee-jerk reaction it, it might be. And he was asked, how much responsibility do you bear to try and tamp this down, right? Because Kenny Great is... question from Tyler Dawson it, there, by the was, way, our National yeah. Post colleague. <laughs> Right. And so his answer was interesting. He basically said, you know, look, it's it's not smart economics for us to be a separate country that's not going to help unlandlock our oil. But he also said, look, we have to take these sentiments seriously, right? He, he said, I think he used the word bloody, right? Albertans have a right to be bloody upset and bloody frustrated. And Bloody mad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got right cockney about it. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. So I, he's playing this real kind of balancing act where he's in some ways trying to embrace the anger that is behind this se- separatist sentiment while also not letting it get out of control. And I think this is going to be a really difficult uh, tightrope to walk for the next few months, if not the next few years. Uh, and I, you know, when he went into the campaign, basically saying that a, a Trudeau re-election would uh, destroy the Alberta economy and cause a national unity crisis, uh, that tends to feed these kind of separatist sentiments. And so I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see if he kind of tries to walk that back a little bit now that we are going to see a Trudeau government, at least for the next little while. That's enough of that. Enough election. Election's over. Moving on. That was like that, four that was, whole days ago. That was my best segue. Uh, yeah, it was four whole days ago. Four whole not sleeps ago. Um, <laughs> hey, there was a budget yesterday. Really? Guys. Uh, I think so. Yeah. We were uh, locked away in a room in the federal building. It was a little inside baseball for those of those who care about this kind of thing. There were very. We usually get copies of the budget under embargo. And yesterday... They had a very different approach to this than they have in the past in Alberta, which was that they 
We weren't allowed to bring any phones or devices that connected to the internet. And we were locked away in a room with what looked like pretty decent food. I don't eat government sandwiches, but... It was um, better food than usual. Was yeah. it? Good. Okay. Good. The food was yeah. good, good food. Good. All the, all the tea was depleted. The tea supply got depleted by the end of the day, though. So that was my main concern. Anyway, whatever. Fine. Gotta switch we... to coffee, Janet. <sighs> <laughs> Can you imagine how hyper I'd be? Anyway. So, uh, so yeah, food decent, but getting locked away was a little weird. Getting our devices taken away. No internet for seven hours. We were all getting a little twitchy. Uh, <laughs> was like, uh, Bunch of cranky journalists. What happened Separation anxiety. Was not good. Yeah, yeah, major it's a OCD good, happening. Good social detox right <laughs> there. I know. You know what? Actually, I didn't miss my phone. I was like, so somebody else's problem. I was really productive right now. <laughs> that I wasn't checking Twitter. Every right. Time. So I should take yeah. away all your phones. Yes. Yeah. Dave will confiscate uh, our phones every day. <laughs> Please don't do that, Dad. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the actual budget. What was in it? What were we looking at in that? In our time locked away in jail? Um, I have five big numbers to share with you because the budget is all about numbers, numbers, numbers. Hundreds of pages of them. So... The expected revenue for 2019-20, which, by the way, is half done. This year's half done, so they're working with you know stuff that's already happened. But looking forward to the next six months, expecting $50 billion worth of revenue this year in Alberta. Expenses, $58.7 billion. So doing the math, which is nice and easy, $8.7 billion deficit expected for this year. Part of that number actually includes um, an expected $1.5 billion cost of getting out of the oil-by-rail deals which is an interesting um, asterisk, I guess. Next big number, 2.8% cut to programs and services, which leads us to our next big number, which is that is the largest cut to public programming in a quarter century in Alberta, which is pretty significant. Despite some of this expense reduction, we are still on track to have a debt of $93.3 billion by 22-23, but of course, budgets are not really about numbers. They are about people and about policies. And I'm going to ask you each to run through a couple of takeaways that you had from the budget you think people should know about. I'll start with Dave because he's looking excited about talking. I am? Okay. <laughs> um, well, I, the, well, I was going to ask, how many, how many of those people that are currently in positions that are going to be out of a job and how many are they positions that are being cut that aren't filled or they're expecting to retire? Don't know. They said that the majority they're hoping are going to be through attrition. So people yeah. retiring or leaving for another post and then, uh, you know, eliminating those positions that are left. No one likes layoffs. Try Like we work in the journalism business. And trust <laughs> me, there's been a lot of those in the last 15 years or so. Um, I the, the thing that really stuck out to me was we're there's been all this talk about how awful a budget it is and how much it's, you know, gutting uh, public services in Alberta and how bad it's going to be. And I understand that people, there, there are people with legitimate concerns about the budget, uh, but how bad is it that we're still going to have an extra 20 odd billion dollars in debt added to our debt level over the next four years? Like the, the cuts are bad, but are they... I don't know if they're as bad as people anticipated they would be. And I know I've seen some arguments that say, no, they're just as bad as we thought they would be. Um, Did you want bigger cuts? People were, were claiming these were going to be Klein level cuts. The government said, no, they're they're not going to be. And, and they weren't. Some departments were taking bigger cuts than others because uh, the 
UCP government was trying to live up to what they said during the election campaign and maintaining health and education funding, which I think is admirable. And they're increasing funding for certain departments, which I also think is is interesting. I know we're still trying to get some of the details on why those departments and why they're getting the increase that they are. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, I think, Keith, you, you kicked off your column with the sentiment that you're digging this deep a financial hole. You, you got to stop it some point and start making some tough decisions. So this is kind of the start of that. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because you may remember Kenny went on television the night before, right? He had this televised address, this kind of unusual step before a budget. I don't think I've seen a premier do that before uh, and go on and uh, had about a 20 minute speech kind of letting Albertans know what they might expect and brace for, you know, a really tough budget that we haven't seen in a while. And I think that sort of set us up to think that it was going to hurt a lot. Uh, and on a high level, you're right, Dave, 2.8% cut to overall program spending doesn't seem like a lot. The deficit this year is not going to be much different from the NDP's last budget. The debt level by the end of the four years is not going to be that different from the NDPs. So you sort of think to yourself, wow, this seems like a, a lot of warning for very little impact on the overall bottom line. But it's when you get into the mm -hmm. details that that's where it starts to get controversial, right? And this is a very, very uneven budget in terms of how the cuts are deployed. So you're right, health and education spared from major cuts. Um, and uh, increases to community and social services. Uh, a couple other departments got increases as well. So there's some little goodies in there. But at the same time, wow, um, universities and students, boy, are they getting a massive hit here. Municipalities are getting a massive hit here. Uh, this is a senior's drug plan. Um, you know, even though the health budget uh, increased, uh, seniors may not be happy uh, with all of this as well because their, their drug plan uh, rules are changing there as well and they may actually have to pay more. So what you look at it though, and I, I don't know if this is coincidental or not, but a lot of Kenny's political opponents are getting uh, hit the hardest here. University students who did not wildly come out for Jason Kenney in the last election are getting hit very hard here. Edmonton, uh, with our infrastructure projects, right? A delay to the new hospital, a cancellation of a child and mental health uh, building, uh, and a, uh, the, the loss of a provincial operations center. There's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars there that are being wiped off uh, construction plans for Edmonton. So Delayed. Delayed, right. And of course, <laughs> Whatever Edmonton, that means. Kind of yes, Edmonton yeah. did not come out in great numbers for Jason Kenney during the election either. So I, I, I don't, as I said, I don't know if that's deliberate, uh, like as a political payback. I, I hope it isn't. But I'm sure some people are going to see it that way. And uh, Kenny is going to have to do, um, he's going to have to work overtime to sell this budget, uh, that this was deployed fairly. The case for cuts, I think, is absolutely there. How they were done is going to be the point of contention. Mm -hmm. uh, Moira, what did some of the critics say yesterday about this budget after we learned some of the details? What did we hear from, say, the NDP, some of the stakeholder groups that were milling around in the rotunda after? Sure. Um, so one, the NDP were extremely critical of the budget. Uh, Rachel Notley summed it up in one word as a lie. She said that the UCP had lied to Albertans when they said they weren't going to cut health and education. They didn't. But um, when you account for uh, a freeze increasing... freeze is a cut. That's what, that's what exactly, some of the critics say. A freeze, say. Is, a a freeze cut, is a cut. When you when account for yeah. like 
uh, enrollment increases that are expected and population growth, per capita spending is going to go down under this budget on health and education. Um, so they were, uh, Rachel Notley and uh, Sarah Hoffman and Shannon Phillips, the finance critic, um, were extremely critical um, and also noted that um, one thing that they were very critical of as well was that the public sector cuts, they said, are going to disproportionately impact women and working women, especially nurses, uh, teachers, um, et cetera. And they noted the disappearance of the gender-based analysis tool that had been um, quite common uh, on the NDP and it cost you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for them to develop and include in their budgeting. Um, so yeah, the NDP were not happy with this budget whatsoever. Um, and they really thought that the UCP had walked back a lot of their promises. And I want to dive a little bit more closely, and I'm sure like there's so much fodder here. We will be talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, so don't get all excited if we're not touching on your favorite area today. But I want to talk about post-secondary education today, because not only did this change the way um, the post-secondary education is funded, but it also sort of set the stage for some major changes to the way post-secondary education is run in Alberta or will be run in Alberta in the future. So Moira, can you tell us what we learned from the budget yesterday and what what information we're still waiting for about post-secondary education. The budget brought to life a lot of the recommendations of the McKinnon report and laid the groundwork for basically all the rest to be implemented. Um, so the budget mean uh, is a 5% decrease from current spending levels on, edu- on post-secondary education with an aim of decreasing t- by 12.5% below current levels by over the end of four over years, four yeah. years. Um, so realistically, this means that universities are going to be cut up to 7.9% in their operating grants uh, in the current fiscal year. The UCP are also eliminating $225 million in education and tuition tax credits over the next three years. So they're completely axing those. Um, and they're increasing interest on student loans to prime plus 1%. Previously, they had just been prime. They're also... Now, now this isn't happening in the budget. We'll have to wait until spring 2020 when they've promised it. But they're going to be switching to a a funding model that accounts for certain performance indicators. And when Janet and I spoke, when we spoke to uh, Minister of Advanced Education, Demetrius Nicolaitis, yesterday afternoon after the budget, um, he said that these performance indicators will be developed in consultation. Now, what this really means for universities We don't know yet. We don't know which universities are failing. According to the UCP, we do know that there are universities with as low as 40% completion rates in the province. Um, But spring 2020, that budget will be one to watch for the funding formula. Um, And one thing I'd also like to note uh, that I didn't really get to get into uh, too much in the written file, but uh, the... Post-secondary maintenance improvement. I, I can't remember the name, but capital the, uh, maintenance and renewal. Capital maintenance and renewal. Fixing fund. stuff. Sorry, thank you. Fixing <laughs> stuff. The fixing They're not stuff fixing fund any stuff. <laughs> is being suspended for the year and then Ouch. reinstated at current levels Ouch. next year. Yeah. So essentially, any necessary repairs, like this includes like sewer replacement, um, the chemistry roof at the University of Alberta is in Aww. dire need of repair. Um, that will all have to wait until at least the spring of 2020, and the STEP program between uh, that helps subsidize student wages in the summer, it was completely axed. Interesting. Well, I just want to remind people that McKinnon Blue Ribbon Panel Report, for those who don't keep up necessarily as well with politics, uh, was a report that was commissioned by the UCP government um, to study 
just as the spending side of Alberta's balance sheet, and it made 26 different recommendations, including a series of recommendations about possible changes to the post-secondary education system. And uh, so those are the recommendations that Moira is talking about. And they also informed many other budget decisions. And um, just quickly, if Keith or Dave could tell us, why why do you think that they're going after post-secondary education so hard? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. I'm not sure that I necessarily have a, a very good answer. Look, I mean, the finance minister was keen in many of his, uh, many portions of his speech uh, in the legislature yesterday, and the government has also talked about this in the lead up to the budget, that we fund things at a higher rate than do other comparator provinces like BC and Ontario. That should have been a drinking game yesterday. <laughs> yes. I mean, they did, they did say it a lot. So <laughs> especially when it comes to post-secondary, in that sense, I'm not surprised. If they if they want to try and, and find efficiencies in the system and bring spending in line with other the provinces than the fact that they went after universities, considering how much more we spend on it per capita than than other jurisdictions. That makes sense. Um, why the fact that they got rid of the tuition freeze, I don't necessarily, me personally, I don't see anything wrong with lifting the cap on tuition and letting universities set tuition, set new tuition rates or increase tuition. Um, for, like the, the, Stakeholder groups who claim that a cut, a freeze is a cut, the same can be held true for tuition levels at universities. If you force universities to maintain tuition at this at the same level without raising them for for uh, inflation and labor costs and things like that, then it puts them in a in a tough place. Well, but the NDP then, government backfilled the tuition mm -hmm. freeze, I, right? I yeah, they gave them the no, no, yeah, yeah, this is but, a yeah. like this is a. But, this is a but, cut, and then they're allowing it. But Jason, right. yeah, but Jason Kenney yeah. doesn't want to increase spending, so there would right. be no backfilling of that. No, but the idea that tuition goes up, you know, I personally don't see a problem with that. Don't at me on Twitter, people. I, well, even <laughs> even the NDP was suggesting the tuition freeze had to end, yeah. right? Right. Yes. So that was in the plan. They were going to regulate how much it was going to rise by, though. But they, I yes. mean, the, yes. this government is going to allow up to seven percent per year. Exactly. Per institution, per institution. But, I mean, different yeah. programs could go up. Dentist more. students could pay more. Law students yeah. could pay more. Each year for the yeah. next three years, it could be a 30% increase for some programs. Exactly. Yeah. And I, to compare to other provinces, British Columbia currently has a domestic 2% tuition cap. Yeah. So, so that means it's a little bit more level uh, in terms of what students can expect. And that was really what student advocates I spoke to over my piece yesterday were focusing on, is that students don't necessarily have a lot of predictability and how they're going to afford their education. Um, you know, if a student is entering post-secondary next fall, they, like Keith said, they could be paying 30% more depending on their program and depending over on... Over three years. Over, over three, three years, years. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the end, by the beginning of their third year, they could be paying more. Um, and yeah, and there's really just is a concern, I think, about uh, what this means for accessibility in post-secondary edu post education in Alberta. Um, Alberta already has a gutted... Uh, student aid system. And while that is being maintained under this budget, um, the student aid system doesn't necessarily make up for the massive increase in tuition. And as a consequence, um, Alberta already has the one of the highest, if not the highest, I have to double check that, uh, levels of student debt in Canada. When they we, graduate, also, yeah. we also have one of the lowest, lowest participation, partici participation mm -hmm. rates. And right, and Jason Kenney said it's a goal that we need to get these rates up. I don't see how any of this is going to help. Also, but let's the trades, the, the trades, trades. Well, they're they're adjusting well. the trades. so the trades are the trades are probably going to come out of this okay. But also, let's not forget, Jason Kenney also 
reduced the minimum wage for students just a couple of months ago as well, right? So that provides uh, even less ability for for students, especially if you're going to university, to pay for your education. Um, and so anyway, I, it just, yes, this was in the McKinnon report. This was a big factor in the McKinnon report. That's why Jason Kenney, I think, has gone after the universities. Even after all of these changes, Travis Taves was very clear that Alberta is still going to be funding, government funding, students at a higher rate than most other provinces. So I think we have to take that into account. But at the same time, this seems like a really, really severe piling on of students and and universities all at the same time. I was a little surprised they didn't implement this a little more gradually. I'm going to cut you all off there because we are just, there is so much here to talk about, but we are just going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And as much as you all love to hear us talk, we have very important reading recommendations to get to that may or may not have anything to do with the budget or the election. So, Keith, will you go first and tell us what we should read or listen to or watch or consume? Uh, I'm going to recommend a long read in Wired magazine. It's called The Impossible Fight to Save Jakarta, the Sinking Megacity. So, you know, often when we hear about climate change and uh, the uh, rising water levels, uh, we hear about Venice, we hear about New Orleans, we hear about other cities. I did not know about Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia, which is far bigger than any of those other cities. Uh, And this is a very interesting read about uh, the trouble that that city is in and probably the efforts that are not going to be sufficient enough to save it. How the heck did you have time for a long read this week? Well, I read it on the plane coming oh, back from Italy. yeah. Where I was in Venice. <laughs> some of us were burning <laughs> some extra carbon yes, last we were. week. We were. Dave, what have you got for us? I have something to listen to and it's really short. Um, Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Post Media is launching a new podcast on November 4th. It's called The Dark North. It's our true crime podcast. The first season is about the Montreal Mafia and other gangs in Montreal. It's hosted by Montreal Gazette crime reporter Paul Cherry. Um, So I guess I'm going to recommend two things. One, I had a chance to interview Paul about the most recent Montreal Mafia hit uh, Andrea Scopa, whose, whose brother was killed in May in a brazen shooting at a Laval hotel, Salvatore Scopa. Andrea Scopa was killed this past Monday uh, outside a gym on a busy Montreal street, broad daylight, about eight in the morning. Uh, people going to work, this guy gets shot in the face. Uh, so we had an interesting discussion about kind of the simmering uh, rivalries and feuds that are going on in the Montreal underworld. And then the trailer has dropped for uh, Paul's podcast. It's a quick little two minute teaser that is just, it's really sets up what the season is going to be like. And that launch, as I say, the dark North, you can subscribe to it, uh, on Apple podcasts and all those other places that Janet talks about at the top of the show. Um, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the first episode. That sounds cool, but that was super meta. Cause on a podcast, you just recommended a podcast about a podcast. That's right. Whoa. And a trailer Whoa. for a podcast. Podcast <laughs> more podcast podcasting. I'm going to say some things now. Um, I'm also going to recommend a podcast, but this is from BBC4, BBC Radio 4. Um, it is called uh, You're Dead to Me, the podcast. It is uh, the history podcast for people who don't like history. That's me. Um, and those who do. Oh. Well, it's no, I, I do like history. It's just, I, I'm a history dummy. I'm you know, a history major. I, I have a degree in biochemistry. No, I don't So care. what the hell do I know? <laughs> anyway, uh, so what they do is a really cool format for those of us who need something a little bit more accessible and a little bit less like textbooky. Um, they bring in a comedian and like a historical expert 
on a particular subject or person, and then they have kind of a back and forth about this topic. So some of the things that they've done have been Joan of Arc, Napoleon, Stonehenge, very accessible, very funny, great accents. You should listen. Moira. I'm going to recommend a long read from our colleague at Star Edmonton, Omar Mosley. It's called <gasps> Shallow Graves, Deep Scars. <laughs> uh, unmarked Cemetery uh, on Alberta in Alberta reflects atrocities at one of Canada's deadliest residential schools. Um, and it's a story, it's a long read story. Um, Omar traveled to a, resident, a former residential school just outside of Red Deer um, and spoke to people with connections, uh, Indigenous people who, ha- who had uh, relatives or um, new people who had attended. Um, and I think it's it's an important piece just for understanding that these places weren't far away. They happened right, uh, you know, by where lo- lots of us drive to go visit our family or head down to Calgary and, um, you know, understanding how that history, where, where it was and how, how that those effects are ongoing. So I'd highly recommend reading it and accessing the resources that that he mentions as well. Yeah, I read part of that because I tend to read half of things <laughs> and get distracted. And uh, yeah, it's really it was really impactful, like how the people are still just going to that site and how difficult and moving it is for them. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, do you have feedback or thoughts or you just want to yell at somebody? You know, I'm here. Um, I'm Janta French on Twitter, or you can email me jfrench at postmedia.com or you can send me some recipes I like recipes Uh, join us next week for another episode of the Press Gallery